What's happening, Professor and Pipe Bomb Podcast episode? Who gives a fuck? Uh, bringing you the latest on uh, what's going on with the Green Bay Packers, because that's kind of been our area of, well, should we call it expertise or maybe just uh, most heated conversation? Area of most heated conversation? Yeah, yeah, or despair. Despair, with how, how disgust, yeah. uh, angst, anguish. Anger. I don't think we've, there's been a moment as long as we've been doing this podcast, that the Packers have been doing well enough that we can be happy in the podcast. Yeah, you're 100% It's not our right. fault. We're not cranky people. No, no. We, we're we probably both walk two, in smiling. We're probably two of the most happy-go-lucky uh, dudes that work here. Yeah, we're not I as happy say. as Tim Allen, but I don't right. know what he puts in his coffee to make him so happy. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, we're, we're two rays of sunshine. Absolutely. Uh, beacons of light, rainbows and unicorns and yes, pots sir. of gold and all that jazz. Uh, but for whatever reason, the Packers just their timeline for doing things the wrong way and our timeline for doing these podcasts really seems to sync up. <laughs> it sure so does. just, you know, a disclaimer to start the podcast. We're not angry people. We're just angry that the Packers uh, cannot seem to get their act together. And right now, uh, we're heading into week four against the Buffalo Bills, who until last week looked like possibly the worst football team in the NFL and maybe the worst football team I've seen in the NFL in the past five years. They like they looked that bad. And it tells you everything you need to know about the current state of the Packers that I have zero confidence that they can win this game at Lambeau Field. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, man. Nothing that we have seen in the first three weeks gives you a whole lot of to be positive about with this team. Right. And so you always play, you know, you play the what if game. There's the, you know, the uh the catchphrase or or the the uh what do you call it? Uh not a catchphrase. Cliche. Cliche. There it is. You went to school. Barely. Uh, the cl- <laughs> the cliche, you know, you are what your record says you are. So the Packers are 1-1 one, one, and 1. They're as indifferent as you could possibly be. They're not <laughs> they're not great, they're not terrible, they're not even. You don't know what they are right now. But I think it's fair to say that just as easily that they could be 2-1 and one if you play the what-if game, uh-huh. they could also just as easily be 0-3. Oh yep, absolutely. Because they really, the way they played that first half week one against Chicago, they had no business winning that football game. Nope. And if the Minnesota Vikings had literally any other kicker in the NFL, they would have beat you in regulation. Uh-huh. Because you couldn't get into the end zone. You kept settling for field goals. What was it? Five field Five. goals in regulation for Mason. Yep. Missed the uh, the sixth after getting ice there at the end of the fourth. Yep. Um, and you just got blown out. You just got your ass handed to you by the Redskins. Mm-hmm. You looked horrible. Yeah. Um, and so I guess we're trying to figure out maybe what should we do? Should we go position by position, trying to figure out where the weak links are? Because I don't think you can look at a position group per se specifically and point at them and be like, they're horrible. It's like they've got a playmaker and a nobody all over the field. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, if we go position by position, we might be here for about three hours because not a whole lot of people are doing good on this team. J.K. Scott, though. Yes, I was a 1,000% t- <laughs> wrong with that draft pick. I was so far against, you know, taking a damn punter that high in the draft, but he's the team MVP so far. Right, and that's that's the sad thing, and it tells you it's just another identifying aspect of this football team or what they've shown so far. That The, that the only positive thing we can bring up is a fucking punter. Yeah, I Which, know. you know, not to discredit them, like they're part of the 53. They have been as long as, as football's been a thing punting has been an aspect of the game but really you know when you're trying to look at a team and and build your roster and think about you know who your playmakers are and who your difference makers are you know punter and long snapper are always 52 and 53 I think in people's minds in terms of importance your fourth string safety oftentimes people think can have a bigger impact on the game than than the punter yeah um but yeah this JK Scott kid uh, and you know he made that appearance on Faith in the Zone. I a few missed weeks that ago. One. You missed that one. Yeah. You could go back. It's a fan out to bad percent of my job. Paul Spuick, GFC, <laughs> or go to faithinthezone.com. Um, <laughs> you can check it out. Um, but the the dude's really good. Yeah, he is. He is. He gets great hang time. He just launches those freaking balls. Uh, he. Like I said, I was so wrong when I was blasting that draft choice. 
because he is the team MVP so far this right. year. And, you know, as embarrassing as that sounds, you know, but it's just, it's brutal. You know, like you said, you just get destroyed by the Redskins. So then what does the leader of your team, we saw the secondary, we saw Kentrell Bryce, who did not make a play. The only play he made was breaking Muhammad Wilkerson's leg. <laughs> That's the only thing yeah. he did the entire game besides yeah. missed tackles and, and busted coverage. So th- so what does the big idiot, mediocre Mike do? He comes out and defends him. And, oh, yeah, uh, I still got a lot of faith in, uh, in Kentrell Bryce. He's still our guy. You know, just, just typical McCarthy, man. Yeah, I just I don't really understand where you always expect a coach to come out and be kind of diplomatic about everything, not throw their own guys under the bus. They have to be a little bit of a rah-rah cheerleader. But I don't think there's anything wrong, and you'll see you know, a manager in baseball do it, a head coach in basketball will do it. You know, They'll hint at it, kind of, yeah, you know, so-and-so wasn't on their game today. We still have confidence that he has something to contribute moving forward. Um, it's you know we'll be able to take care of that in practice, but he didn't even he didn't even touch on that. It was just kind of like no, he's good. Trust yeah. us, he's good. What evidence do you have that he's good? You can't give the, one the, of your players the two hand shove to throw him under the bus, but they are professional players. They get paid to play this game. So if they're if they suck ass, as a head coach, you should be able to say yes, they sucked. But I have faith that he's going to bounce back the next week. But you have to admit that he sucks or that he played horrible that week right. in order to move that on he and struggled not sound with like an his idiot. assignment or this particular matchup didn't break his way or those are plays that in other games go unnoticed or that other teams don't exploit You know when they miss them. Something like that. Um, but I, the bigger part of this, and, and Mike McCarthy – is the head coach. And so ultimately the blame falls on him. Anything that goes on, you know, from, you know, the start of the first quarter through the end of the fourth or the end of overtime, if it happens, everything that happens there, not on the practice field, not in the draft, not in the off season rests on Mike McCarthy's shoulders. But at the same time, what I can't figure out is that everyone, it was always with Don Capers defense, right? It's too complex. Nobody knows what they, where they're supposed to be. Nobody understands their role. Nobody thinks they're being used in the right way. And Mike Pettin's whole thing, or so it seemed to us uh, from the outside looking in, was that it was simpler. Guys were going to understand where they had to be. They were going to, you know, essentially install less to get more production. You know, kind of a throwback to uh, reminiscent of, of kind of the way Vince Lombardi ran a team. We're going to if we're going to do something, we're going to do it at a level that we can do it correctly. There's no point in being complex to the point of confusing ourselves. We're going to play our game, and we're going to do it so well that no matter what you do, you can't beat it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that, that's very high praise. Mike Pettin was not going to come in here and be Vince Lombardi on the defensive side of the ball. But that was the premise, right? That of they were going to slow it down, simplify it um, to a point, knowing that you have a ton of young players, knowing that it's a new scheme, even for veteran players, that a lot of these players don't know the scheme, they're going to have to pick it up. But it seems like everybody is just as lost, that everybody is just as incapable. And what I can't decide right now, and, and maybe you have a stronger opinion about this, is it really Mike Pettin's defense? Because it looked pretty damn good in Cleveland when he was the head coach in Cleveland. It mm-hmm. looked pretty damn good in Buffalo when he was an assistant. It looked pretty damn good in New York when he was the defensive coordinator with the Jets. So is it really Mike Pettin's defense, or are the players that we have just so stupid and so incapable of playing, but it's that's all he's got to work with? I think it's a combination. You've got players like Kevin King who can't stay healthy and stay sure. on the field, and as soon as he went down, we got shredded. One of the good takeaways is, and I'm sorry, but Devon House being put on injured reserve, see ya. You know, he can just stay gone as far as I'm concerned. You've got uh, ha-ha Clinton Dix, who you cannot be a defender and shy away from any contact at all. Right. When he's not making mistakes in coverage, he won't put his hands on the, on the receiver to bring anybody to the ground. So it's just a complete unmitigated disaster in the defensive secondary. Guys are still wide open. 
third and six, and there's nobody in 10 yards of a receiver who's 10 yards down the field. Right. That cannot happen. Right. And even if it's one of those things where whether you dial up zone, whether you dial up man, and, and baby Tausch could attest to this, he, he's sitting on the other side of the glass as we do this right now, um, trying his best to ignore us uh, because he's, you know, there's, there's a Brewer game uh, going on right now as well. And it's not exactly going the Brewers' way, so he's probably pretty bitter. At any rate, tangent, uh, that was just my little plug about how excited I am for the Brewers in the middle of a Packers podcast. Hey. Um, but whether you're in zone or whether you're in man, stands to reason that at no point, if you're playing it correctly, that you should be that far away from a receiver, right? Right, exactly. Either you're dialing up zones in certain locations or – you're on your man, and if you're playing it correctly, you should never have anybody that wide open. It, a, a well-executed defense, yeah, there are some guys that are going to beat you. A Julio Jones, a, a Stephon Diggs, they're just really good at their job. Occasionally, they're going to get separation. They're going to break one loose. But to have consistently, you know, seeing like Paul Richardson beating you. Who the fuck is Paul Richardson? Yep, exactly. Beating you that bad. It, it has nothing to do with athleticism. It has nothing to do with... Um, and that part of it isn't Mike Penton's fault either because he can't, you know, drag and drop the guys like Tech Mobile on the field and put them in the right spot. All he can do is tell them this is where you need to be and hope that they go there. And it seems like year after year, regime after regime, coaching staff after coaching staff, change after change, personnel decisions, literally nobody on this team defensively has seemingly known where to be consistently for the past, what, decade? Yeah, it's been a long, long time. Since what? Charles Woodson left, honestly, I think is the last time that yeah. I had confidence that a defender was going to be in the right place at the right time in the secondary. Well, and that's why it shocked the living hell out of me when in that Bears game that the Packers were very lucky to win, they were able to stop them both times. You know, they, they stopped them on fourth down. Clay got the penalty. They stopped them again. I blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. And thank God Trubisky's right. their quarterback and not somebody who's actually good at the position. Because, you know, that was the only success that, that the Packers have had right. on defense. It is awful. They are getting shredded. I know. And really, they got shred- they got shredded that whole first half. Absolutely. Against Chicago before those adjustments. And so when you think about it, we really don't have a good barometer on what Mitchell Trubisky brings to the table. Because it's his first full year as a starter. It was his first full offseason preparing as a starter. And so in that week one matchup, you had no, really, you had no genuine idea what to expect that he could deliver. But you knew that, assuming he was healthy and ready to go, Allen Robinson can make plays. You knew Jordan Howard could make plays. Uh, You knew Tariq Cohen could make plays. Um, So you knew that they had weapons offensively to get something going that even if Trubisky wasn't a great quarterback the weapons were good enough that if you broke down you know every once in a while a blind squirrel finds a nut Mm -hmm. but now you're seeing um Kirk Cousins who I think you know much much ado was made about how much they paid him and if he was worth it I think we can all agree that at the base level minimum Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins is an above average NFL quarterback yeah, I think a lot more of him I think than he's that. really good. But, I do too. But whether, you know, wherever you fall on the spectrum, I think you can agree Kirk Cousins is an above average, across the board, NFL quarterback. Yep. Alex Smith, by mo- most accounts, at the bare minimum average, at points in his career, above average. Yep, Right. Absolutely. He's had his moments. Absolutely. With the right coaching staff. So it's not like you're going out and you're facing Drew Brees and getting shredded. Right. It's not like you're going... And Cam Newton is just slashing you up the gut and throwing deep bombs on you, and his style of play is beating you, right? Right. These are more or less pedestrian quarterbacks who are shredding you Mm -hmm. for consistently 25 points a game or so, average, I think, at this point, about 25 points, if not more. And part of that, the rule changes, the penalties, favor the offense so heavily, and you saw what happened in Minnesota. You saw how it played out in Minnesota, how it changed the course of the game. That could be a whole other podcast entirely. Um, but when you really boil it down, is it really that the defense is, is that bad? Because it seems like there's high-scoring games every week in the NFL. Is the game just getting that skewed to favor the offense? 
Are uh, they really that bad? Because it seems like every team is capable of putting up 25 points a night now. Well, yeah, you saw what Buffalo, you know, they put up a ton of points in Minnesota. And so, you know, yes, I it is that skewed, but it is also the Packers' defense. Mm-hmm. You know, you you get no no pressure at all from the defensive line. Uh, there's no push. Um, you know, the the secondary, we don't have any linebackers that can cover. The secondary just gets lost, even, like you said, even when they're running zone, there's guys wide open, nobody within 10, 12 yards of them. You know, it's just a complete, total failure. Mm-hmm. And you can't just pin it. Obviously, everything starts on defense with your D-line. And if, you, if you're given, it doesn't matter if it's Kirk Cousins, if it's Drew Brees, or if it's your dead grandma, you can't give the quarterback, you know, a minute to sit back there, eat a bowl of Cheerios, and then decide right. where the hell they want to throw the ball. Right. And, and that circles back to, I think, what we were talking about with these defensive backs. Uh, I believe Charles Woodson said it uh, a few you know years ago when he was in Green Bay, uh, mentioned something. He had praise for, at the time, it was Clay Matthews and drawn the blank on who was opposite him. But they had a pass rush. Uh, I think it was Eric Walden came through. It was in that 2011 season. He emerged out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and just the praise that, you know, they can't do what they do without a pass rush. You know, whether it's Charles Woodson, who I think we can all agree is is an all-time great cover cornerback. Absolutely. In NFL history. Absolutely. Whether it's Rod Woodson, whether it was Ronnie Lott, Deion Sanders, no cornerback, the way the rule, rules are set up in the NFL, can cover a receiver. No linebacker can cover a tight end. No safety can cover a tight end. Nobody can cover anybody. When the quarterback has, what, eight seconds to decide where to go with the ball? Yep. Because inherently, you're on your heels. You have to react to them. So the more time it breaks down, the more your your zones fade. Uh, if you're in man-to-man, the more time the receiver has to pull away from you. There's just nothing nothing about a defense works if you can't win at the line of scrimmage. And it's such basic fundamental football. Blocking, tackling, everything starts at the line of scrimmage. Whether it's your you know, three-down lineman, if, if you're running a 4-3, your four-down lineman. Uh, you know, if you run two-down lineman, maybe bring a pass rush up the middle and two off the edge, however you see it. If you can't win the battle at the line of scrimmage, I don't care. You could have four Hall of Fame defensive backs. You're going to get torched. Yeah. You're absolutely going to get torched. Night in, night out, Sunday after Sunday. And this team just looks horrible Yeah, they in do. that regard. The offensive line looks horrible. The defensive line, Mike Daniels is good. Is good. I trust Mike Daniels. I trust Kenny Clark. But I don't trust Nick Perry. I don't trust Clay Matthews. Uh, Muhammad Wilkerson is out. I don't trust Dean Lowry, Kyler Fackrell, Reggie Gilbert. They're horrible. Well, Mike Daniels didn't do jack in the Redskins game, and either did Kenny Clark. Right, and and in those guys' defense, I think opposing offenses know that really those are the only guys that could beat them. Right. And so you look at a game, and I don't remember which side of the line now off the top of my head, Brandon Sheriff, the, the Redskins guard, was lined up on. But Mike Daniels was almost certainly fighting a double team with Trent Williams, who's an all-pro tackle, and a guard, if not a, a tackle and a tight end, the tackle and the guard. Um, and Kenny Clark is consistently getting double teamed and triple teamed this year, yeah. um, which I think is a testament because we might say, well, you know, you hardly ever see Kenny Clark make a play, or what has Kenny Clark ever really done? Well, he's he's drawing a triple team, which is more than you could say about Ryan Pickett, I'm pretty sure, didn't consistently draw a triple team. No. And Kenny Clark consistently has three guys trying to block him. You which don't means do, there should be other guys free. Right, which, yeah, that's the second part. It's high praise for Kenny Clark that a team really thinks they need three guys to take this guy out of the equation because he's that good. But then on top of that, if Mike Daniels is drawing a double team, two guys. If Kenny Clark is drawing even a double team, let's say, two guys, you only got five offensive linemen. If you bring two pass rushers, you don't even need a third down lineman. If you bring two pass rushers, in theory, one of them's either going to have a free run at the quarterback or all they have to do is beat a tight end or a running back. And they can't even do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, yeah, if the, uh, if they keep in the running back to, uh, to block the free guy, because they don't have enough on Throw offensive him into linemen. the quarterback. 
then there's nobody. Ooh. There's only a couple guys out in into uh, running routes, right? And so you've got a whole secondary. Jair that, Alexander can run that only has to cover three dudes, right? And you can't do that either, right? With you would have in that situation too. You'd have what a nickel corner, two safeties, two linebackers, or three safeties and a linebacker. The the matchup is perfect. Yeah, if you can just get one guy who can rush the passer. Yep, consistently and effectively. And they can't do that. I know. But I just got an idea about the, a loop. It's a loophole. Okay. Just roughing the passer penalty. Let's say they leave a running back in to block. Do you think you'd get a flag if you you could pick him up or maybe drive the running back and throw him into the quarterback and knock him down? Oh, uh, you, you know, know, use him like a medicine ball. Just kind of knock him on his ass. They'll still because that a might flag. be the that might be the only way out right now if you're Clay Matthews is just slow down, find a small dude. And just start throwing darts, picking them up, <laughs> and throwing them. Honestly, I, I don't know what, what else you can do at this point. See, going back to the preseason, and McCarthy you know, basically made the decision not to play most of his guys. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever seen a year where so few difference makers and starters played you know, any kind of significant minutes in the preseason. Part of it is because of the NFLPA and the and the agreement with the league of limiting the amount of hitting in, in training camp, the days that the pads are on, all that kind of stuff. I think part of that is why tackling is so horrible now yeah, throughout the league. It's bad. But especially with the Packers. You know, they haven't ha- they haven't had and a good tackling been. team in a decade. You know, so it's there's a lot of factors that go in it, you know, uh like like we talked about earlier, whether these guys are smart enough to actually play in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, d- make no mistake about it. When you're a big-time college football player, yes, you're in college for three years. You're not really going to class at all. You're right. a professional football player. So what you're saying is you don't think the middle linebacker from Alabama is spending his late nights in the chemistry lab getting his projects done? Is that what you're you know you're hinting at? Yeah, that I, I would say that's right. Maybe more of a biology and anatomy major, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. I don't sure. think there's uh, too many overnight uh, study halls going on with these guys. Study I gotta, groups. I gotta pass this Spanish test, man. I gotta. Yeah, I gotta cram for this economics final. You know, I don't think that's happening. So, you know, I think it's no hitting. Uh, very few padded practices in in preseason. I think it's general overall lack of intelligence on on some of these guys' parts. I don't want to you know come out and say that some of these guys are stupid, but they're stupid. Uh, and then you know it's just not being able to grasp the defense. Sure, I, I think it's important to clear up too. It's really really challenging, even at the collegiate level, to do everything that it takes mentally to even get to that point. It, yeah. takes, it does take a lot of practice, a lot of mental capacity. But at the same time, like, this is the NFL. This is the biggest of the big. This is not the time for, you know, at, at some point everybody drops off, lowest common denominator. And it doesn't mean that you don't understand football and it doesn't mean that you're stupid necessarily, but it does mean that you don't have it enough to do it at this level. Yeah, And I'm trying to think if there's really ever been guys that um, usually they turn out to be head cases and, and they run themselves out of the league for other reasons. But the guys that you know aren't there mentally because they have all the physical talent in the world. A guy like um, uh, that comes to mind, Justin Blackman, that yeah. receiver, I think he went to uh, Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. got drafted by the Jaguars, never made anything out of himself in the NFL, not because he didn't have talent, but because he had a 10-cent head, and so I would only assume that that translated to the football field, that if the dude's not s- smart enough to keep himself out of trouble, gee, I don't know, for a month at a time, that he probably didn't have the greatest grasp of running routes or how an offense works. That it was the kind of thing that his whole life he was such a physical freak that they just said, all right, dude, uh, whatever number, 81, whatever number you are, uh, just run. We'll get it to you. Yeah. Just run and go get the ball, like the water boy. Yeah, well, you would think, like, especially these kids that come out of big-time programs, whether it's Alabama, whether it's any any team in the SEC, any team in the Big Ten, any team in the Pac-12, you know, these guys watch film. Yeah. 
How we watched can, film in high school. How can you not sit there after 10 years of watching film, learn, and make significant progress at your job? Yeah. Practice makes there perfect. Is. At least that's what we're Practice always told. Practice makes permanent. That was podcast number whatever the number before this Hello. Was. Yes, sir. Uh, and so, yeah, it's one of those things. It's a learned behavior. If your whole life... You're just so physically gifted that a coaching staff is willing to kind of overlook that you don't know what you're doing because you're going to help them win football games. Obviously, you know, you're your own man. You're in charge of yourself. You need to take that responsibility on your own. But also it is a little bit of a failing on the coaching staff at lower levels across America. This, this philosophy of you don't need to know how to play football to be good at football. Well, and, which you can't get away with in any other major sport. Well, here, I'll make this analogy, and hopefully you've seen the movie. It's like in Drumline. You see Drumline? Yeah, it's a good flick. Where that dude... Big Nick Cannon fan. Okay, where they find out that he can't read music. So the head of the band or whatever sits his ass on a sideline and says, you know, that and you know other issues. You're done for the year. Uh, learn how to read music and stuff and come back, and next year will be a different story. The only problem is, and, you know, I would be playing idiots. I don't care. I'd be playing criminals. You know, every year you're coaching for your job. Mm -hmm. And the players, obviously, especially in the NFL, where there's no guaranteed contracts, they're playing for their jobs. So you would think that that would be the motivating factor. This is a freaking contract year for ha-ha. Mm-hmm. And this is the and the, play. This is the tape that he put out after three games. This is what you want p- uh, potential teams that want to sign your ass for big money. This is what you want them to look at. Yeah, have some self pride and get out there and ball your ass off. Right. That was you know that was always the kind of thing. Competition and opportunity breed prosperity. Right. Yeah. If you think that someone's coming for your job or you think you have a legitimate chance to get a job. I think it's almost like an instinct, at least for me. Like, you kind of kick it into high gear. Hello. Right? Like, I started interning here. You interned here. As soon as that, you know, they dangle that carrot in front of you, like, hey, you want to work here? Oh, okay. I did, you know, okay, someone thinks I'm good at this. Let, you know, let's kick this thing up a notch. Yeah. You know, this could really be something. And it doesn't seem like every guy has that. Right. I know. And, and it, you it's... think about Clay Matthews, for example. I think he really got off to a lucky start to his NFL career and for a few different reasons. Not to say that he doesn't have any talent or that, uh, you know, anything like that. He's a good football player, good football player. But the dude, again, coming through college, he was a physical freak. He was so freakishly athletic as an outside linebacker at the time that switching to the 3-4 defense was the hot ticket in town, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He plays one year as a senior at USC, uh, does enough apparently to convince Ted Thompson, who I think we can say in hindsight, had no clue what he was doing in the draft. No, As far as we saw, because everyone will say, well, he drafted Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers kind of fell into his lap a little bit. And outside of that, he has drafted zero in what, did he have 10 years? Uh So probably closing in on 100 draft picks. Two full rosters worth of people. He did not draft a single other player that you could possibly consider as even a potential twinkle in the stars Hall of Famer. Yeah. Out of that many cracks, you'd think you'd get a guy like maybe, you know, like a Heinz Ward. Yeah. Donald Driver. A guy who, are they a Hall of Famer? Probably not. Maybe someday. But they're good enough to be in the conversation. Yeah. He drafted nobody nope. that was any good. So, you, so Ted Thompson takes a chance on him, drafts up to get Clay Matthews in the first round, right? Mm-hmm. He happens to then go on a team that wants to run the 3-4 defense, something that a philosophy that apparently went out the window after that pick because all Ted did after that point was draft defensive ends and try to turn them in outside linebackers, which didn't work with Mike Neal, didn't work with Dayton Jones. I really don't think it works with Nick Perry either, but I digress. Kevin Green, one of the greatest pass rushers in NFL history, is his linebacker coach. He also has veterans in the building. Like, I think Aaron Campman was there for a year of, of overlap. Um, Eric Walden gave him great pass rush off the other side. He had a veteran 
uh, block eater in front of him and Ryan Pickett. They drafted a guy ahead of him in the draft, B.J. Raji, who also drafted a bunch. You had great veteran protection on the back end in Charles Woodson and Nick Collins. Uh, Tremont Williams came out of nowhere. Morgan Burnett could play. So you had guys all around you um, that forced the offense to ignore you, basically. Yeah. They were like, we can't ignore Ryan Pickett. He's going to collapse the pocket. We can't ignore B.J. Raji. He's going to collapse the pocket. Um, we can't really, you know, we can't take a deep threat because Nick Collins is going to get there. We field cut in half with Charles Woodson. So it really changed what the offense could do, right? And you've seen as these players have, have left, as Kevin Green has left, as Clay Matthews has gotten older and his athleticism has gone downhill, he's really nothing special as a pass rusher. He never gets home. He never seals the edge. He's constantly making boneheaded plays. He's chasing, chasing guys from behind. He can't even wrap up a quarterback. I know. In the open field, he can't even wrap up a quarterback. Yeah. Part of the thing with Clay is that he has never brought anything new to his game since his very first game his rookie year. He blasts so far around right. the end. He overpursues. He, you know, he he'll, the quarterback will be five yards back. Clay runs seven yards and tries to catch him from behind. We're leaving that whole side of the field unprotected. There's no containment on the edge. He's been doing it his entire career. Yeah. It paid off one or two seasons until teams sat there, got the tape, and said, oh, this is how you beat this SOB. Right. Because he had the athletic makeup ability yeah. that he could go for it. He could over-pursue, and he could get back uh, You know, if he wasn't playing someone that was smart enough to beat him. Yeah, and now the teams, they got smart. They notice the tape. Oh, he, he does the same damn thing all day, every game, every year, and this is how this is how you torture him. And he has looked flat out awful. He's had three aside from the penalties. Yeah, he's had the three penalties. I think you know the one against Minnesota was complete BS. Uh, the one against Chicago was late. He deserved that penalty. Mm -hmm. The one against Washington is I would say fifty five forty five where he deserved it. It was still kind of a weak call. I yeah. wouldn't call it. I it's like, a weak call with the perspective of how Aaron Rodgers got pile-drived earlier in the game. That say, the drive right before it. I get it. I get the rule. I get there. Your money makers, these quarterbacks, you want to protect them. You want to keep them on the field. It makes the game exciting. But at least be consistent with your horrible rule. Right. Right? And they're not. They're not. They're not. Not at all. But that one, according to the new rule, I would say 55%, he deserved that flag. Sure. According to the new rule, obviously in pipe bomb rule, you know, all anything goes. Sure. Yeah, I like pop blood. his helmet off I like, like it's a zit. Just Absolutely, go for take it. Take his freaking head off. So you know, but he's looked horrible. There's plays where he sits there and he he runs into his own guy who's trying to pursue a running yeah. back going to the outside. He's in the way and not making a difference at at all. It's awful. I know this and this. That's the thing. As a veteran playmaker, veteran player in the NFL, everybody, nobody is athletic, I don't think, at age 30, 35, that they are at 20 or 25. You have to rely on your thinking. You have to beat guys mentally with your understanding of the game. You're going to outsmart them. Yeah. And what I can't understand, I can picture play after play after play in my head where they've chased a quarterback, usually him, has chased a quarterback out of the pocket. He, he wheels out, he's headed toward the sideline, and that, that quintessential time when a quarterback has a moment to run or they can stop, square up, and just launch one. Mm -hmm. I think we can all visualize what's going on in my head right now. And he'll get there, he'll have them, he'll have them just sitting out there, right in front of him, like a Dead cheetah tasting a deer or something. Yep. Dead to rights. And what does he do? He starts, like, clawing at the ground, and it's like a bull in a matador. He just flies at him full speed. All the quarterback has to do is take, what, like two, three skips to the left or the right? Yeah. If that. You don't even have With. to run. Just a little ole to the side. Yeah. And they're home free again because now he's five yards behind you, and that's enough time to get a pass off with nobody in your face. Damn straight. And after, let's see, he was drafted in 09, I believe. We're in 2018. And in almost a decade of NFL football, with multiple coaching staffs, with multiple coaches, with you know his own personal professional integrity at stake. I'm sure I'm maybe I'm oversimplifying it. I know it's harder than it looks, but you just don't see guys 
with that kind of NFL experience consistently fucking up in that particular way. Do right. you? No, no, you don't. The truly great players. Yeah, no. Not Marcus at all. Ware never did that. Nope. Uh Julius Peppers never did that. Nope. Julius Peppers was always home. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so it's just like, as Packer fans, did we just have the goggles on for too long and now like the chickens are coming home to roost that we just overhyped this guy because he had pretty hair and he got 15 sacks as a rookie? Well, the thing with Clay is that even like the last three, four years when he's played, uh, because, you know, he misses games all the time, is that he'll have one and possibly two games in an entire season where he's dominant. I think mm-hmm. last year he had one game where he had four sacks in one game, yeah. and I think he ended with five or six on the entire season. Yeah. So you show up one week, and you live off that, and you live off your name, and you still think you're hot hot shit. Yeah. And that's not how it goes. Yeah. And it, he's on pace, you know, far and away, to finish the season with more roughing the passer flags than sacks. Absolutely. Which is, you know, when you consider how many yards you give up, by getting the flag versus how many yards you typically will put the offense back with a sack. <laughs> really, the math doesn't add up there. No, it doesn't. 45 but, to, you know, you figure oh, a sack, wow. you're looking at 5 to 7 per. Something like that. So, Maybe 10 if you got a guy really rolling around. Yeah. Um, but So think about this, too. 34 roughing the passer flags across the NFL through the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. Total, in some. 32 teams in the NFL, that means... Roughly each team should be averaging one penalty every three weeks, one roughing the passer call as a team in three weeks. In three weeks. He has one every week by himself Uh so far. Yeah. And, you know, are they maybe coming after him? Are they making him the poster boy? Yada, 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 conspiracy theories. But, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it doesn't seem like every other team in the NFL and even other guys on this team are having the same issue getting the job done that he is. Yeah, no, they're not. And uh, I don't think it's against Clay per se, but it seems like any time something horrifically bad happens, it happens to the Packers. The fail Mary, mm-hmm. you know, now this this crap with the, with the roughing the passer, which is a stupid rule anyway. Uh, and you've had quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers came out and said it's stupid. Uh, there was um, I just saw today there was another one. David Bakhtiari doesn't like it. Yeah, you said know that on the Big Show Tuesday. You've got you've got these guys. Oh, Derek Carr. You know he comes out and says that it's stupid as well. So when you have quarterbacks saying hit me, yeah, and hit me freaking hard because we're football players too. Yeah. That should tell you that the rule is all jacked up. Or that the way, you know, even if you, you don't, I don't think anybody necessarily wants to just get their lights put out. But I think the point being, like, you really, that's really a flag now? Yeah. Like, they can't even believe it. The rule exists for them to set records and make hundreds of millions of dollars. And even the quarterbacks. And the fact that it's Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr, two guys that in recent years have both missed significant time due to being hit right. at the quarterback position, are saying, yeah, this just as like, a, I think it's the competitors in them. That the as a competitive balance. Or they, there's or like, maybe it's because they got some fuzz on the Kiwis. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, everyone in the NFL is a competitor. And so, just as bad as Clay Matthews wants to hit the quarterback, the quarterback wants to get hit, get up, and throw a touchdown right. to show that that didn't matter. And I think that from their perspective, possibly, though they're taking the competitive balance away to the point that they don't even feel like... I, there's so many thoughts spinning in my head right now. It's, so, it's just so uncompetitive at this point. Mm-hmm. It's so uncompetitive. It's so uncompelling because the league has gone so far skewing rules toward the offense. Yeah. And there, it's it's like you know when you get taxed when they throw the government throws a new tax on you it's never going away yeah. so they're never going to it's not skew, a trial offer yeah they're not going to skew it anywhere back to the defense it's pretty much here to stay I do think they'll tweak this rule uh, the roughing the passer where it's not going to be you know in a, in a couple weeks it's not going to be called like it is now yeah uh, but 
the damage has already been done. You know, in the NFL, you play so few games that you could not Every single lose game a game. Matters. But, with you know, being hit with a bogus-ass penalty, especially one that's 15 yards, complete. You know, it's just it, it you can't recover sometimes, especially depending on the time of the game that it happens. Yeah. And, and just because we're also, you know, we're in the heat of uh, playoff race baseball right now. Just to put it in perspective, for, you know, the sport that plays the fewest games to the most games. One football game. Ten baseball games. Ten baseball games. And you're seeing it right now. Think about this. An 80-win baseball team is sub-500. A 90-win baseball team is going to the playoffs most years. Yep. That's how big of a difference one game has. Just as much one game has in the NFL. It carries the same weight. Yep. You could be – you could miss the playoffs by a tiebreaker. Now, that is why you're the professor and I'm not. Why is that? That was one hell of a smart ass point, brother. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It boils down to it every year. Like there's what there's usually what, like three or four a nine and seven teams in every conference. Yeah. And it comes down to some sort of tiebreaker, a head to head, a divisional record. Because you have so few chances to prove yourself. Yep. That every single game matters. This game on Sunday against the Bills, it's not a throwaway game because it's the Bills. And it's not a throwaway game because it's non conference or it's non divisional. Or, or whatever it may be. It matters. It counts just as much in the win-loss column when all is said and done. If, if we're talking about this conversation again in December, late December, and the Packers are 9-7 and seven after Week 17, and the Vikings are 10-6, and six, it doesn't matter if the Packers lost that game uh, to the Vikings, the second matchup in Minnesota. It doesn't matter if they lost it to the Bills. It doesn't matter if they lost it to a peewee team. They missed by a game. Every single game counts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. They're, they've put themselves against the eight ball. And like I said, that the loss to the blowout loss to the Redskins hurt so much more because of the fact that the Bills dominated Minnesota at home. Like you said, if when you come up one game short for a home playoff game, or you're going to be rocking the wild card and be sitting there going airport to airport for as many weeks as you can stay alive in the NFL playoffs. Look at that one. Yeah. It is a complete missed opportunity. You got your ass handed to you and got rolled by a team that does not have the talent that you have. Right. And and the league doesn't care the level of your competition either. The nope. Patriots for the past 15 years have been all but guaranteed six wins by playing the guys in their division because yep. they're all horrible. Yep. Whereas, you know, other league uh, divisions, the NFC South, will regularly have three teams in the playoffs, two teams getting both wild card spots, or the NFC East, or the NFC North. It doesn't matter. The 12 and 4 that the Patriots got, in my mind, is cheaper than the 12 and 4 that the Packers or Vikings might get this year. Well, yeah, of course. Because they have a lower level of competition. And when it's all said and done, that 12-4 and for the Patriots might be getting them home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and the 11-5 and team in the NFC is going to be on the road the whole time. Yep. And so when you're talking about what it does to your team and the landscape of your season and how you have to approach things from now through Week 17 through the playoffs, every single game matters. It doesn't matter if it's the Bills. It doesn't matter if it's the Vikings. You have to go out and win every single week. Every single week against every opponent. If you lose, you just shot yourself in the foot. It doesn't it just doesn't matter. You you see how it benefits a team like the Patriots. They are they have six games on their schedule every year that are theirs to lose. Mm-hmm. That are theirs to lose. And so they go into the playoffs or they they start their regular season. They're all but guaranteed six wins. And so then they can go 500 in their remaining games, they're an above 500 team, and they can get a home playoff game. Yeah. Because the opponents on their schedule are bad. It doesn't matter how bad the Bills are. It doesn't matter how good you think the Vikings are. It doesn't matter how good the Patriots will be when you face them later in the year. Every single win carries the same amount of weight in the standings. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about who's stronger, AFC, NFC, it, you just look at the quarterbacks that are in each conference. And for years, the AFC, you know, who were the good quarterbacks it was besides Brady, Brady and Manning? 
Manning, and then you had Roethlisberger, and then Philip Rivers. You know, so many people throw him in a conversation. Yeah. He's a fantasy dream. And then when the chips are on the line, just like he's Matt a Stafford. freaking choke job. Yeah, Kinda like just, Matt Stafford. Yeah, but then you look at the NFC where you got Breeze, who's a badass. You got, uh, you know, you got Rodgers. Cam Newton had his years. You know, Matt the, Ryan's not a bad player. Carson Wentz is coming up. Yep. You uh, know who else you got? The AFC. Oh, Baker Mayfield. Come on. Good for him. Yeah, we'll see Joe how Flacco. that works out. You got Joe Flacco. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a rock star. Yeah, he's got a rocket for an arm. <laughs> yeah. So it it sucks. It sucks. What? How do you think the Packers are going to do against Buffalo? Oh geez. Uh, as a preface, because um, we're running short on time here, just to squeeze it in, there's been some buzz of like that there's any situation that you don't play Rodgers because it's the Bills, and this is what I was getting at, that every game matters. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot easier test for him to go out here against the Bills than it is against the Patriots or anybody else. Yep. So this is one you got to have. Yep. And on top of that, he's your $130 million man. If he can stand, he can play. I don't care if you got bolts going through his leg. I don't care if his whole offensive line is like out of the movie, The Replacements. If he can stand, you have no shot without him. Agree, 1,000%. Um, at that rate, this is going to go one of two ways. The, pa uh, the Packers are going to have the Bills' defense figured out, and the crowd at Lambeau is going to get to the rookie Josh Allen, and it's going to be the Packers in maybe what will be the most lopsided victory of the year for them, but I still don't think it's going to be all that high scoring of a game, like maybe something like 30-10. to 10. Okay. That's going to happen. Or you're going to see a repeat of one of these first three weeks' performances where the offense doesn't show up for the half, a defense doesn't show up for a half, and you end up in this high-wire act down to the last minute, and the Bills can very well beat you. Yeah. I made, the, I made the argument to Rami on the big show earlier this week. He told me I was crazy and I had to stop it. The Browns right now and the Packers have the same record, right? Yeah. Aaron Rodgers might be the best player in the NFL when he's right. He could be the most talented player at his position in the NFL. He is. Right? For argument's sake. The Browns don't have anybody like that. But 1 through 53, in terms of total talent, the Packers really don't have much. The Browns, 1 to 53, might have just as much talent as the Packers. It's just that the Packers, maybe 1 through 5 or 10, have better guys. Right? Am I completely out of left field here? No, it's hard to argue against it. I don't once know. Once you if get it's... past the Rodgers, you get past a Bakhtiari, you get past a Mike Daniels. And then you kind of start getting into some categories where we think they're good, but are they really good or are they just good for our expectations? Because we expect to win because of Rodgers. And so these other guys on the team, we just assume, we just kind of view them as, well, we're winning games, so they must be good. But yeah, is, no, I think you're not far off, man. I think if we lined up roster to roster, player to player, it'd be a hell of a lot closer than anybody thinks. Take Aaron Rodgers out of the equation, 1 through 52. Yeah. This is not a good football team. Not really. It's really not a good football team. But still, you're, you're picking them to win. I'm picking them to win because I just can't accept the fact this early in the season that they could lose to a team like the Buffalo Bills. I'm just saying, I'm going to add as a caveat, that it's not out of the realm of possibility that they lose. This isn't like playing the Lions in 2008 or whenever they went 0-16, where you should expect to win no matter how bad you are because they're that bad. Right. You're, you're close enough outside of the quarterback position. You're close enough matchup talent-wise that they can beat you. Well, okay. I'll, Any uh, given Sunday, right? Mike McCarthy's still the head coach as far as I know. Uh, Kentrell Bryce is still patrolling the uh, defensive backfield and got a uh, vote of confidence from the big idiot. So I am going to say uh, 31 to 10 Buffalo. Send it. Wow. So show me something. Show it to me. I haven't Bring seen it. it in three weeks. It's this is your make it or awful. break it. If you lose, to, if you do, if you lose that bad to the Bills at home this week, throw it away. You know, shut Rodgers down like he did last year after he couldn't get it done in Carolina. Yep. Shut it down. They better win. If this you can't game. beat the Bills at home, or, or sorry, not that, not if you can't beat the Bills. If the Bills beat you that bad as you just predicted at home, shut it down. Clean house, and you know maybe you don't want to do things mid-season because you have this uh, impression of yourself as a classier organization than others. 
wait till the end of the season, let Mike McCarthy, quote unquote, resign and and just start over. Yeah, I agree. Just start over. Because I think more than anything, that investment in Rodgers wasn't an investment in Super Bowls. It was an investment knowing that this team's not going to be very good for the next five years at the least. And that he's the only thing that's going to put butts in seats and eyeballs on televisions. That's all the more reason why they need to go out, pick up Eric Reed. They need to go and kick tires on Le'Veon Bell. Uh, I would be going after Chandler Jones. Get in the time from machine Arizona. and go get yourself Khalil Mack. Hello, you know. Think about think about what a huge difference that would have made. Don't if make you, me cry. If you just pull Don't the trigger, make me cry. give up three first round picks, Hello. and you get Khalil Mack for a rental. Who cares? Yeah. Well, and sign got, Eric Reed. I would have said. How there, much different is this defense if you have a legit safety? And the best pass rusher in the NFL on that defense. Changes everything. Sure does. You saw how it changed the Bears defense, and he didn't even know the playbook. I know. He still had his his damn slippers on from the flight. He didn't even know what end was up. He didn't even know where he was playing. Yeah. He got here so quick. And he's been smoking every single week. Yeah. That was the guy that puts you over the edge. That was the guy that when Aaron Rodgers' knee is hurt, you don't need to lean on Rodgers to win win a football game. Nope. No, you could sit there and have your defense take over. One guy with the pass rush would make every single position on that defense, with the exception of Kentrell Bryce, because he's just dog poop, uh, better. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll see. We'll see. We're going to be happy. Hopefully, we're happy next time we do one. Hopefully, we are happy. But I am tired both physically, mentally, emotionally, from dogging on the team that I love for so long and really not believing it's going to get better. Well, let's go grab a drink or seven. Pour me a cold one. You got it, brother. <laughs> All right. I guess that just about does it for us. And, and by the way, I should throw in here, you can follow you on Twitter at Jeff underscore Orlowski, right? Yes, sir. Not Orlowski. Nope, no W. Orlowski. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Anthony Mandela. And for future reference, if you're listening to this, we're two, as we mentioned to start the podcast, we're generally very chipper dudes. Mm-hmm. And we're also more than happy to take suggestions. So if there's things that you want to hear or things that are on your mind that you want to hear a take on maybe that you can use as ammunition with that guy uh, at work that thinks it's one way, well, we'll come through for you. Absolutely. We'll come through. We'll do a podcast. And then you'll go, hey, these two guys get paid to do this, to know what's going on with sports and to talk about it for a living. And they agree with me, you idiot. <laughs> because because really i mean that's what we do this for this is the end this is showbiz man oh yeah don't sell it as a ask mandela and pipe bomb anything though because i i would think Ooh. that the questions that we would get would be uh a lot rougher than the softballs I mean, I don't know about they get you. thrown I mean, I'm at happy, chuck and i'm bark. happy with my relationship i'm not trying to get in hot water with that anytime soon <laughs> yeah me neither brother all right well that'll just about do it for us thanks for listening and uh take it easy